0: Let's open our Bibles today to Psalm 145. And on this Father's Day, we're going to take a break from this series on Jonah that we've been starting and focus on another Old Testament passage, Psalm 145. And it was written by King David. And what's not evident to the English reading eye, this psalm is written as a pattern, an acrostic With each stanza, if you will, of the poem of prayer, beginning with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And this was something that was done uh, throughout the Psalms. In fact, David wrote five such Psalms like this. This is the last one of the Psalter that we find uh, in the book. It's kind of like the alphabet game. Remember, if you ever played the alphabet game with your kids? You know, you start with an animal. Someone starts with an A, and then they go to a B, and so on. Each letter is meant to do that. And these psalms are meant to instill in us. This particular one is to instill in us the greatness of God, his faithfulness. And this faithfulness is to be passed on to the next generation. Your, your life, my life... Filled with responsibilities. If you're a student, it may be school alone that you're thinking about. Adult work should be a part of your life. And for parents in the throes of childbearing and rearing, it varies from how do, how do we have a great day today to how in the world can I get through this day, just keep my kids safe, fed, and back in bed at a reasonable time. Careers, parenting, friendships all happen. And you and I largely live unaware that life is different than we, than we expected. It drifts across our mind, but it becomes a reality from time to time that we realize my life is not quite what I thought it was going to be. And we live largely unaware that each and every day we are leaving a legacy of some kind to others, to our family, to our friends, even the people that we work with. So I ask you, what would you like to be remembered for? Yes, there's some kind of legacy. You're leaving for sure. How do you want to be remembered? If you're a family that does family reunions, there's a humbling reality for all of us. It's unlikely that much detail about your life 50 or 75 years from now is going to be remembered by those that you care about. And to humble us even more, you probably won't be talked about a lot. But the spiritual imprint of your life will remain. A legacy is occurring. Do you want it to be something that has eternal value? Do you want your kids, your family, and your friends to know that something was greater in your life than the positive or negative circumstances that found you? God intends his people, he intends you, to leave a legacy. One that is built upon the faithfulness of God, most fully displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question begs, how does that happen? How do you do that? Well, because intentionally or unintentionally, it is occurring. How do you purposely adopt a God-honoring, legacy-leaving lifestyle that will impact the next generation? How do you do that? Well, I believe King David has counsel for us found in this psalm. So with Bible in hand, look with me. Psalm 145. David wrote, I will extol you, my God and king, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him to all who call upon him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. What is it that David wants us to see? What is it that God would have us to catch out of this psalm that is to be passed on? Well, I want to offer you three things and some other things within that that I want you to get a hold of. Because men, these are life principles, especially for you, for how you lead and how you influence others. But it's not just men. All of us. Or leaving an imprint, a legacy of some kind. So what is this thing that he wants us to be passing on? Number one, this. God is worthy of your passionate praise. God is worthy of your passionate praise. There's a great deal of eh, within us. All around us, even among professing Christians, we're not amazed by all the things that we get to enjoy, the benefits that we have to easy food, supermarkets, antibiotics when we're ill, transportation and nice, nice roads, cars that take us there. We're no longer impressed that God has given us a testimony of the story of his redemption in the Bible. We're so familiar With it, we just kind of go, eh. We forget about God's enduring promises of amazing grace. And folks, we all know that politics have put us on edge. There's diverse opinions about just about anything and everything. And this is translated to our view of God. We've lost amazement. That God spoke light into existence. And by his word, he, he slung the stars into the sky and created the earth that we stand on. All the good things that we enjoy, God has placed at our fingertips. As a gift of his love and his mercy and grace. Now this, meh, uh, that thing that we do is generated out of two things, I believe. First is this. We have an exalted view of self. It kind of goes like this, either consciously or subconsciously, that man is inherently good. And there's mysteries of the bad choices that we make, probably made because we're misunderstood or victimized in some way, or there's been oppression in our lives. Hollywood's been really helpful with this view. One of my earliest childhood memories is going to the theater, and it's going to date me, to see the cartoon version of 101 Dalmatians. To this day, I can remember that wild-eyed woman that had evil intent to make a coat out of puppies. Death for bodily decoration. And Disney just now released a live version of it called Cruella. And I've not seen it, but I've read some of the reviews. And what I have found out from those reviews is this. Cruella is not evil. She's just misunderstood. (laughs) Subtly, over time, because of all the things that God has allowed us to create and enjoy, to manufacture, we've exalted man. To be like God. The second reason why. Mm, happens in us. Is because we have a diminished view of God. Seeing God for who he is. Will never leave you yawning. It's just not going to do it. And if man has been your view of God. I've got incredible news for you. That part of you. That longs for great treasure in your life. That longs for something more. That cries out. For something greater, it's available. It's available in Christ Jesus. His love and his faithfulness can change the course of any dead-end life and any dying dream that you have. Do not see God with me. See him for who he is. See him for what David describes as the God who is worthy of your passionate praise. So David does. He brings us a different paradigm. A paradigm different than us. Because we have this exalted view of man and a diminished view of God, this is what we do. We celebrate the trivial and we trivialize the substantial. God wants us to see him accurately. So we can glorify him fully. King David brings this paradigm. God is the focus. Namely this correct view of God. And here is a life principle. People are going to witness what you embody about how you view God. I will say this again. Whether you realize it or not. The world is watching. But as I had a conversation earlier this week with Pastor Peter your children are not just watching they are staring god's worthy of our passionate praise and here's what david is saying right out front up front because is good because god is good i should say so the word he ha- he uses in verse 1 i will extol you is an uncommon word. It's not something we use today. But it's something that we're about to speak lavishly and to speak extravagantly about the goodness of God. He is the focal point of our praise. It means that you and I are to be verbally opening our mouth and glorifying God. Now, to give God glory is something that is difficult for us to get a hold of. To tell of his glory is akin to, to speak of his beauty. Everything that we get to see, everything that we get to enjoy, all the smells, the tastes, all the glory of colors that we have around us, warm weather, snow falling, all of that is not God, but a reflection of the God who gives it. And yes, we are to be struck dumb by the goodness of God. He's behind all of it. He's worthy. But he's not only worthy. David wants to call our attention to number two. God, God's faithful love is greater than any mess you see, any failure you have, and any future that is frightening. God's faithful love is greater. What is in verses 5 through 9 is meant to to combat the stress in your life. Life has stressors. I can't even say it. Stressors. It does. In a broken world, we still long For things we long, if you're not married, some of you are longing to be married and you wonder, Will I ever find a mate? and it creates stress. And then you get married and then you start realizing, What kind of mate do I have and what kind of mate am I? Your kids, those lovely, beautiful children, they are stressors, those little beauties are glorious sinners. They're selfish and self-absorbed, just like you. And your job, the stability of that job, your health, aging, money, the future—whether it be global or personal—stressors. All these added. Many years ago, there was a book published. Don't sweat the small stuff. As I recall, I read it. it It's pretty good. But the subtitle was even better and applicable for every Christian. Don't sweat the small stuff. Subtitle. And it's all small stuff. That should sum up our view of what happens to us right here. Because God solved the big stuff. The biggest problem that we have. God solved for us through the death of Jesus Christ. That thing that will separate you from God for all eternity accomplished in the rescue mission that is the gospel. God took it on himself. He initiated this ultimate rescue plan. And it's all small compared to eternity. Do you know that when you follow Christ, there is nothing that you face right now, right at this moment, and nothing you're going to face in this life in the future that eternity is not going to fix. Nothing. Whatever ails you, eternity is going to fix it. But we've lost sight of it. We've lost, lost grip on it because stress and circumstances that generate stress often control us. But God's faithful love is greater than any mess that we see, any failure that we have, and any future that's frightening. When your focus gets fixated on these stressors, often these little things, God gets reduced to the size of your anxiety. You are not seeing clearly. And when your God is small, your children are going to be impacted. Parents, do you want your children to know the Lord? Meanwhile, you're full of worry and you fret, you've got dread and you complain. I want to ask us all, how is it are we, how is it that they are going to catch hope if they see us constantly afraid? What beauty are you offering them in Christ? Is he treated as the supreme treasure to know and to love and to cherish? Is he greater than any desire that you might have for career promotion or your health being perfect or your finances being solvent? Do they know that? Do they know? Do you know? See, David committed to tell about it. And that's what we see in verse 6, 7, 8, and 9. God gives grace, mercy, and love. What he says here is, I will declare your greatness. David is saying this. God, all of creation, to all of creation, you have been good. Do you know that God is good to other parts of creation than the United States? God, you've been good. Verse 7. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Abundant goodness. God's not just kind of pitching out little treats. He's good. He's abundantly good. And God's people are to be celebrating it. And then in verses eight and nine, this is verse eight and nine. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If that sounds familiar to you, do you know that this is the most common descriptor of God found in the old Testament? This is God's calling card. When Moses said to God in Exodus chapter 34, Oh, Lord, I want to see you. I want to look at you. God passes by and speaks this very thing. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. It's also noteworthy since we've been in Jonah that Jonah said the same thing about God. I want you to take your Bible. I want you to just flip over to Jonah. It's way over before you get to the New Testament. I want you to hear how Jonah says this about God. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, what he's referring to here is that God had mercy on Nineveh. It ticked him off. Peter talked about last week about why the Ninevites, this group of people, would be people that we'd be tempted to despise. In verse 2, he says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious, here it is, you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So instead of praise, here Jonah is the irony Jonah is accusing God of being good and mad because he's good to people other than us. Just imagine in your mind for a moment. It won't take long. I'm hoping the Holy Spirit just kind of puts his finger. Just think about someone, some group, some political alignment, some subset of the culture, some color of the race, some group in the world that you just kind of go, Lord, I hope you get them. God is merciful and gracious to them. Oh, May we see that God draws all people to himself. So what does this mean for you and me? What does this mean? What does it mean? How does this translate? Well, I believe in the church, there are, there are really two groups of people and two groups of how we think. There's the broad group, the broad church group. And this is the church that says this, God is loving To everyone. God is a big, fluffy marshmallow. He's sweet. And he's good. God is love. In fact, Scripture tells us. God is love. It really doesn't matter what you do. Ultimately, just believe something. Try not to hurt too many people. And if you do hurt people, uh, just move on. God's a big fluffy marshmallow because God is love. And then there is the narrow church. And the narrow church believes this. God loves just us. He just loves us. He loves those that think right and do right, who behave. That's who God loves. It really does matter what you do because God is holding a stick. And God likes to poke with a stick prod with a stick, and beats everyone that's out of line. Only the righteous will get mercy. Your God is too small. Both views are too small because Scripture shows us something far greater, more complex, something that we can't quite get our hands around. God is more complex than you. God loves the world so much that he gives his only begotten son. Take it for what it says. God loves the world. He loves his creation. He manages his creation. But may we never be people that forget that John 3.18 tells us this. God is holy and just. And he judges those who do not believe. Who reject his rule in their life. He that does not believe is condemned already, John three eighteen tells us. So what does this have to do with you? As I said, this has application for us right here, right now. And hear me, the imprint you are placing on those that you love. It has a lot to do with it. When you don't acknowledge the common grace of God, his incomprehensible mercy, you just make God a cosmic judge that you can appease if you're good enough. Your children never learn that God, and this is a blessing, God sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's a blessing. God cares for his creation. God loves you, and God loves other people who are very different than you and as and as Jonah found out God even has mercy on cattle verse 11 of chapter 4 should i not pity Nineveh the great city in which there was more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left and also much cattle God sees the cattle So let's bring it close to home. There's a lot of things that stress you. A lot of things that you're thinking about. Interpreting what's going on around you. But do you know that right now there's about 17,000 people groups in the world? 17,000. There are 7,400 unreached people groups among those 17,000. About 42% of the global population live in a region where there's less than 2% evangelical Christian. So, for every 100 people that sit in this room, this room typically on Sunday morning has about 400 and 400, that's eight people out of the 400. Roughly 28% of the global population, 2.1 billion people, have no earthly reason to ever have encountered the name of Jesus apart from the Quran. About 280 million live in a region where there's no evangelical witness, no engagement of any kind. Do you know... That God loves the unreached. You're burdened about a lot of things, but Christians, God's burdened about them. That's why we have a choice we go, we send, or we disobey. What kind of legacy are we leaving to our kids? What do your kids know about God's love for them? About other people? Do they know that the message of the gospel, that the death and resurrection of Christ answers their life's biggest problem? Are you teaching them that God loves them and other sinners as well? Do they know that they are far more important? There are things far more important than how much money you make where you vacation, where you live, what you drive, and who you know. Certainly more important things than how far you can drive a golf ball or whether you can catch a touchdown pass. We celebrate the trivial, and we trivialize the substantial. Whatever mess we have, Jesus is bigger Whatever failure we embody, Jesus can forgive. Whatever burden you bear, God is able to carry that burden, to lift that burden, to lift you up. Oh, let us hear. Psalm 145, verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. This word bowed down is not the humility. It is the weight of life is bending you over. God raises up. Verse 18. The Lord is near to all of those who call upon him. Who call upon him in truth. To call upon means to rely. To trust. God is near to those who call upon him. Your burden this morning. Do you know you are a moment away of calling. And he hears. He hears. I know. Because I've embodied it. This life can be frightening. You're going to be frightened. Your children will be also. But please hear me. The world and the things that happen in it is not more scary than God is good. He is faithful. And we are to be telling our children about it, about his faithful love. We are to be passing this to the next generation. His faithful love endures forever. And here's what I will do for you. David wanted us to catch this. This lifestyle of God-focused praise and thanksgiving can generate in you A legacy of God-satisfied contentment. When I first heard John Piper say, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Something happened. It struck something in me. First, it was a question like, is that true? And then there was a personal question behind it. Is that true of me? Yes, it's true. But for me personally, I was convicted. It was not deliberately what was true of me. I was not intentionally and proactively glorifying God. And it was impacting me. And unbeknownst to me, because I'm often asleep at the wheel, it was impacting those that I care about. Because my family is not just watching, and because your family is not just watching, because they are staring, what flows out of you or does not flow from you is caught. More is caught than taught. It is a cliche, but oh, it is so true. King David wanted God's people to grasp Every day God is to be praised. Every day. His character is praiseworthy. He is great and good. He is generous in mercy. His rule is everlasting. That's what he says in verse 13 uh, and 14. This is what God is. Every day he is to be praised. Praise is not let, uh, connected to your circumstances. Praise is about God's character. It is the cry of Job. Though he slay me. Yet what? I will trust him. Life is bigger than you. And freedom for your soul is to get out of your little world. Every day God is to be praised. And every day God is to be thanked. Thanksgiving gets the focus off you as the source. Let's have a little mind exercise this morning. You woke up this morning. Whatever food you've consumed today, ask yourself this question. What did I really have to do with any of that? Did I grow it? Amy and I are raising a garden with some friends this year. It's been a long time. And I am really good at raising weeds, not so good at the rest of it. But if we had to depend on that garden, I could get my weight problem seriously under control. All right? How about transportation? Anybody in the room can build a car with your bare hands? Can you process gasoline from oil? Pave roads. None of those things do we do. God graciously places them in front of us for it to enjoy. When's the last time you thank God for a smooth road? Parts of the world like they, they just ignore there's no street lights, they just, they just run over each other. Common grace has allowed us to do these things. And we are to be thanking God for these things in particular. It gets the focus off you as a source. As if you somehow deserve what you have. It puts everything in perspective. All that is right in our lives. All that is good that comes to us. Comes from the good hand of God. Verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you. All your works shall give thanks to you. See, when you habitually praise God, when you open your mouth and give thanks, something happens to you. Peace invades your life and a legacy of contentment begins to be formulated. Paul gives us the counsel in Philippians chapter 4 when he wrote to that church and he said this, rejoice in the Lord always. And by the way, if you didn't catch it, I said rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a lot there. But here's what I want you to see. God knows you're anxious, just like Paul did. That's why he says, be anxious about nothing. So you go like, well, what what do you mean? Just like, can I just shake it off? That's not what he's saying. The instruction is this. Anxiety should drive God's people to God. But in everything with humble prayer and thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Do you know what God's after in your life when anxiety comes? God is after an intimate relationship with you. To draw you to him. So that you learn to depend on him and not on ideal circumstances. And the peace of God will invade. Peace will guard our hearts and minds when we make thanksgiving a priority. God-focused praise and thanksgiving will change you. And it, hear me, it will impact the next generation. Now about now, some of you are wondering this. Is this a guarantee? Brian, are you offering me a guarantee that if I increase thanksgiving and I increase praise in my life, and if I recognize for God for who he is and recognize myself for who I am, that my family, my children, the people that I love, they're going to be joyful, they're going to be confident, and they're going to know the Lord. Are you offering that kind of guarantee? I got a word for you. No. No. I got a second word for you. But your children will never, ever, ever, ever be able to escape what they saw in you. So when you are full of praise and when you are full of thanksgiving and when your children don't see you having a mailox moment, They're going to be impressed that mom, dad, friend, they had hope in someone greater than the moment. You may look at your life today and say, I don't know that I'm honoring God. May we be reminded That this psalm has incredible promise. But there is a shadow in the psalm. There is great praise. There is a shadow in the psalm. And we would be doing it a great injustice if we did not point at it. In fact, in verse number 20, there is a promise and there is a warning. This is the shadow that I speak of. Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. God is merciful. God is loving. God is gracious. God is good. And because he is good, he will judge the wicked. If you choose to live your life in unbelief, if you choose to ignore the legacy that you live, As if it does not matter what you do and to whom you do it. And you think that God simply ignores your indifference and lack of trust in His Son, the only hope for humanity. You are wrong. Sometimes we just need to be wrong. If you believe it does not matter, Scripture says you are wrong. God will judge the wicked. And you may look at your life today and say, what I referenced to you, just like, all right, Brian, I don't know how well I'm doing here. I've not been honoring God. I've given my family a weak picture of God's goodness. I've been asleep at the wheel. I'm a selfish person. I'm self-absorbed. Do you know that you're not unique? You are surrounded in this room with others who have done similar things. And those same people that are around you have found hope. And that hope has a name. It is a person. His name is Jesus. God set forth to rescue you from you. To rescue us from indifference or downright rebellion. Your sin was judged at the cross. And Jesus bore in his body your personal failure. So men, I want you to hear me especially this morning. As individuals that God has ordained to lead and to serve well, I believe that God is calling men to repent. God is calling you to a new direction. He's not just calling you away from something. He's calling you to something. So right here today. Your heart. Can kneel down. Confess your unbelief. Confess the lack of praise in your life. Male or female. Female. Confess placing your kingdom before God's. Ask God to grant you a change of your mind. Ask God to grant you repentance. Kneel down, but don't stay there. Stand up and get after it. Kneel down, stand up. Stand up. And understand that the good God we see in Scripture raises up those who are bowed down. He raises you up. Today, he will raise you to new life. And if you are a believer, he will strengthen you to live differently. He will redeem your past. He will give grace for your future. And all of us in this room, any of you... You can know him as father and friend. Today we celebrate Father's Day. Oh, may you be introduced to the good father. He is waiting for you. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. And he offers to you to be amazed at the greatness of the treasure of his knowledge. And to draw you to himself. By the grace of God, may he grant that we know it and we embrace it. Let's pray. Lord, our, our, our meditation of our heart, whatever it may be, whatever, whatever we're thinking about, May we, in this moment, would you grant to us the ability to see that the gospel has the answer for our biggest problem and our greatest enemy. Oh, Lord, may your beauty shine through our blind eyes. May we hear The glory of your goodness that you are ready to give new life. You are ready to help dads. You are ready to help moms. You are ready to help single man, single woman. You're ready to help men, women, boys and girls. All of us to know that you are sufficient and you are good and you are to be trusted. Lord, draw us to you.